Today we come to a famous text of scripture. And it's famous because it contains the line, God is love. Now I'm sure that at some point or another you've heard this line before, you've heard this quoted before, God is love. You know, we hear this from celebrities on TV. We see this on uh, picket signs at protests on the news. We just see this verse quoted everywhere. It's one of the most glorious truths we find in the Bible. It's just packed into these three little words. God is love. The God that we believe in. The God that, that we preach about every single Sunday here at Christ City Church. The God of the Bible is love. It's not just that he loves, it's that he is love. You know, love is endemic to God's character. It's who he is. But this idea is often misunderstood in our culture. You know, we are so prone, I I am so prone, to think of God's love in the cultural term of niceness. Now, I don't know exactly why this is the case. Maybe it's because as Canadians, you know, we want to be so nice all the time. We're the type of people that uh, say sorry to the guy that cuts in front of us in line at Tim Hortons. And so we tend to think of God is love as being the same as God is nice. So in our culture then, God's love tends to mean God doesn't judge. God doesn't punish God isn't wrathful or or angry towards sin. God doesn't condemn sinners because God is nice. He's this, you know, nice God, kind of like a good Canadian guy. We take our cultural definition of what love is and then we apply it to God so that he just sort of becomes this nice God that wouldn't do anything that we dislike. We reduce God down to our cultural definition of love. So we go around and we proclaim things like, you know, God is love. Without ever stopping to ask, you know, what does this mean? What does this little phrase, God is love, actually mean? And when we ask that question, we pause to sort of reflect for a moment on on what the Bible actually means when it says God is love, we find that we get a very, very different answer to what love is than mere niceness. You see, according to our text today, love is best seen in a father sending his son to die for sinners. So that's what we're going to look at today. Love is God sending his son to die in our place. If you remember anything from this sermon today, let it be that phrase. Love is God sending his son to die in our place. And I've got three points today that I want us to look at to kind of help us see this idea a bit more and unpack it. We're going to look at a son sent, a son sacrificed, and a son imitated. A son sent, a son sacrificed, and a son imitated. So let's look at our first point, a son sent. Read with me the first half of verse 9 in our text. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. 
Now, this verse is very, very similar to one that we've probably heard before. It's a very famous one. It's the the verse that all the football players put on their eye black and all the NBA players put on their shoes. It's John 3.16. And there we read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, it's very likely that John had this verse in mind when he was writing our text today. In fact, he's probably trying to point his readers in 1 John back to this verse in his gospel. And this is really important because this verse, uh, these, both of these verses highlight the fact that God's love is most clearly seen in his sending the Son. We see God giving his son in John 3.16, and we see God sending his son in our verse today. His love is actually manifested in sending God the Son into the world by becoming incarnate in the person of Jesus. Now let's not miss the significance of this reality. God the Father sending God the Son into the world is not like you sending your kid off to school. It's not like you sending them off to their sports games or to their friend's house for a sleepover or something like that. It's not like that at all. God the Father sending God the Son into the world, knowing full well what would happen to him, is giving of himself in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend. You see, God, from eternity past, has existed as Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. God is one God in three persons. He is Trinity. And these three persons have always existed before the foundations of the world in a perfect relationship of love that will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And when I say that, you know, I'm not saying that like they're doing loving things for each other. I'm not talking about them like buying flowers for each other or stuff like that. No, they themselves are the definition of love through the relationship that they have with each other. These three persons in a unity as one God have been and always will be in a relationship of perfect love. So when we read in our passage that in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. We need to understand here the depth of God's love for us in his willingness to send his son and the son's willingness to go for our sakes. You see, it cost the Godhead immensely, immensely to see us saved. John even points to this cost in the the language that he uses to describe God sending the Son. If you look at verse 9, you'll see that it says, God sent his only Son into the world. Now, the word here for only is the Greek word monogenes. 
And this kind of literally means one and only. And this word, it's often used in the New Testament for someone's one and only child. It's meant to kind of highlight the affection a parent would have for their kid. So for example, in Luke 7, 12 through 15, the author there tells a story of Jesus healing the one and only child of a widow using exactly this word. Listen to this story with me. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died and was being carried out, the only monogenes, son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Or for instance, we see this word used again in a similar context in Luke verse eight. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, but they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only monogenes daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. You see, this word, this word monogenes, this word meaning one and only, it highlights the seriousness of the loss that these parents were experiencing in these these stories. It highlights the affection that these people had for their children, and it amplifies the tragedy of the situation by highlighting that this was the one and the only child that they had. So when we read in our text that God sent his one and only son into the world, his monogenes son, we should see the depths of God's love for us in this. He willingly sent the object of his affection, his beloved one and only son into the world for us. I mean, think about that. You know, I have a son at home, and I can't even imagine the pain, the unbearable pain that would come with his loss. Every single parent here should feel the sting of this reality in their heart. God sent his one and only son into the world to die for us. And the son willingly went, willingly came into the world, willingly died for us. I mean, that, that is love. You see, love is God sending the son. But the son wasn't just sent. He was also sacrificed. And this is our second point today, a son sacrificed. Let's read verse 10 together in our text. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. 
Now, we've encountered that word propitiation before in 1 John, but I want to take some time to just unpack it because it really sort of helps us see the extent of God's love for us. The word propitiation basically just means appeasing God's wrath and incurring God's favor. So when John says that the Son, God the Son, or God sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, he's saying that Jesus Christ appeased God's wrath and incurred God's favor for us. But why would God's wrath need to be appeased in the first place? You know, why would God be wrathful at all? And why would God's favor need to sort of be bought for us? Like, what's the deal with that? Well, all of these are, are great questions. And the answer to all these questions is simply sin. You see, all of us here, all of us, are sinners. Ever since our first parents disobeyed in the garden, we all, just like them, fall into sin. We break God's commandments. We, we turn our backs on him and, and we live our lives as if he doesn't even exist. We all do this, all of us, myself included. Romans 3.23 says of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, every single one is a sinner. Every single one of us is disobedient and ungrateful towards God. We spurn the good gifts of God and we reject him in the way that we live. We are repugnant. We are lost. We are deceptive. We are angry, wretched sinners. All of us without question. You know, there's a lot of talk in our world today on inequality. Well, one area where we're all equal is the area of sin. All of us are sinners, all of us. And because of this, our holy creator, he can't just let us off the hook. You see, if he did this, it would be an affront to his justice. It would be against his, his moral perfection, his goodness, to allow sin to just kind of continue on forever unpunished. He needs to punish sin because if he doesn't, then he's not a good God. He's not a morally perfect God. He's not a just God if he just lets it go. So he's wrathful towards sin. And he destroys sinners. And this means that all of us, we are lost. We sit under God's wrath and we will be, will be punished for our sin. That is, unless someone appeases his wrath for us on our behalf. But this person it can't just be, you know, anyone. It can't just be sort of a random person. It can't, it can't just be a random dude. It needs to be someone whose value can actually satisfy the wrath of God towards sin. And the only being, the only one who can actually do this, the only one who is that valuable is God himself. So God the Son was sent to appease 
God's wrath for sin. And he went to the cross, dying the death of a criminal, experiencing the full wrath of God while nailed to that chunk of wood, appeasing the divine wrath towards sin. Now, it wasn't as if, you know, God's son went unwillingly here. We need to understand that. You know, a lot of people, they hear this and they sort of think, man, that sounds like some sort of divine child abuse. That sounds crazy. I, I can't believe in something like that. But, but we misunderstand what's going on here when we think like that. You see, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God, and they ordained this to take place from eternity past, from before the foundations of the world. This was their plan. They, as a trinity, they decided to save sinners in this way. There's no sort of unwilling participants in this plan. There's no accidental participants in this plan. It all went according to plan. This was their plan from before the foundation of the world. And see, it was God's plan to send God the Son to appease the divine wrath for sin so that we might be saved. But there's another part of propitiation as well, and that's the incurring of God's favor. You see, it's not just that God's wrath has now been appeased and we're forgiven, but it's also that God's favor is now towards us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when God the Son gave himself up to wicked men to die, he not only appeased God's wrath, but he also reconciled us. He reconciled all of those who are found in Christ to God. In other words, our sins have been forgiven and we are reconciled to the God of the universe through the death of Jesus Christ, his one and only son. We're brought back into a relationship with him. And all of this means, all of this, that when we think of the love of God, you know, when we think of that little phrase, God is love, that glorious truth of the Bible, we should be thinking to ourselves of the self-sacrificial sending of the Son and the work that he did on the cross on our behalf. You know, James Denny, a, a Scottish theologian and preacher, he put it well when he said, for him to say God is love is exactly the same as to say God in his son has made atonement for the sin of the world. You see, love is God sending his son to die in our place. That's what love is. That's what it means when we say God is love. And he sent his son to die for us. So what do we do with this knowledge? You know, now that we know what God's love is, what's our response? What do we actually do about it? Well, first, let me just say that if you aren't a Christian here today, believe in this. You know, you're a sinner. You need a savior. And Jesus Christ, he is the only, the only one when you come to him, when you put your trust 
in him. His work on the cross uh, is done for you. When you trust in that reality, he saves you. And he brings you into a right relationship with God. He wipes away your guilty conscience. He removes your sinful heart. And he gives you new affections, new desires to help you walk away from sin, to turn away from unrighteousness. And he satisfies your deepest longings for love with his love and with his care. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but forever and ever and ever. For all eternity, he satisfies your longing for love. So believe in him. Leave. But maybe you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time and you know this to be true. You know God is love. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You know that God the Father sent God the Son on your behalf. You know that. You get that. And this is a good reminder of what this is, what this means. But what do we do with this knowledge of God's love? What do we do about it? How do we respond? Well, that's actually our final point today, a son imitated. Let's look quickly at verses 11 through 12 of our text. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John tells us that our response to God's love for us should be love for one another. Now he's talking about the church here. He's talking about the the people that you enjoy fellowship with and have a common bond with in knowing Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in this text. Now, obviously he's not saying don't love the people outside of the church, uh, but he's specifically saying here in this verse that love starts at home. It starts at the church. It starts with the church. The church ought to be the place so changed, so transformed by the love of God that its members love each other in a countercultural way, a completely countercultural way. And John, he even doubles down on this claim when he says in verse 12 that no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, it's almost as if he's saying here that in some capacity, in some, you know, some small way, we see God when we demonstrate his love to one another. As we love each other in the church, we manifest God's love and people see that. They see God's love in the love of the church. So I have a question for you today, Christ City. Is this true of us? Are we loving one another out of the love that we have received from God? Are we doing this? Is this us? Look, I know that this season of life has been really, really hard. It's been a really difficult season. And let's just admit, it sucks. You know, we hate it. It's terrible. But let me ask you, who are you loving through this season from Christ City? Who are you loving? 
I know we don't get to see each other on Sundays. You know, I know that the the regular lunches we used to do and the hangouts after the gatherings and all that stuff uh, isn't happening anymore. But none of that means that, that we can't be loving our brothers and sisters here at Christ City. None of that means we can't be doing that. You know, call the, the isolated person in your house church and just check in on them. Pray for them. See if they, they have any needs that they need met. You know, this is a season of, of loneliness for a lot of people. I know that it's been really, really challenging for a lot of people. Love on those people. Love on those isolated people. Check in on the, the vulnerable seniors who are extra restricted during this time. Pick up some groceries for them, maybe, if that's something they need. Set up a, a weekly Zoom meal with them and just enjoy a meal over Zoom or over FaceTime, over Skype or whatever it is. Just love on them, love on them. Text the parents who have kids, young kids, and just see how they're doing. You know, ask maybe they need babysitting for a, a date night or something like that. Offer that service up to them. Love them in that way. Ask if they're financially okay during this season. Love on these people. Love on them. Reach out to a youth. And see how they're doing. You know, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of, of somebody who's in grade 12 right now. And imagine the, the fact that, you know, they're, they're probably not going to get prom. They're probably not going to get graduation. Their field trips and other exciting things that they were looking forward to this year have been canceled. School looks way different this year. Maybe they're not seeing their friends as much as they used to. Think of how hard that must be for them. Reach out to them. Love them. Mentor them. Disciple them. Encourage them. Love them. Look, there are innumerable ways that we can love each other as a church. Innumerable ways. And none of this is meant to suggest that we're doing somehow a bad job at this at Christ City Church. You know, I, I know that, that you, the people of Christ City Church, are, are doing an amazing job of loving one another. I know that. You are such a loving church and you're so willing to serve and it's, it's amazing. But this is all meant to spur you on, to, to push you, to not grow weary in loving each other to encourage you to continue loving. Because by our love, we see God's love. We're going to move into a time of communion together now. So if you are gathered together in a house church, let me just encourage you to get the elements ready at this time. And as we celebrate the communion meal today, let's be reminded of the reality that is pointing us to. And that is that God is love. That God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven and we might be reconciled and brought back into a relationship with the God of the universe, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you take the bread, be reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ beaten and, and mocked, flogged, nailed to a cross for you. As you take the wine, be reminded of the blood that was shed for you. 
You know, the blood that dripped from the head of Christ as they placed that crown of thorns on his head. The blood that poured from his side as he was pierced with a spear. The blood on his hands and feet where the nails went through to that that cross. All for you. You know, in this, we see God's love for us. So as you take communion today, see God's love for you. If you aren't a Christian, we just ask that you refrain from participating in this meal. This isn't to exclude you and make you feel bad, but it's because this meal, it's a sign of our belief that Jesus Christ is the Savior and the Lord of our lives. By taking this meal, we're actually confessing the Lord's death on our behalf until he comes again. It's a family meal. But if you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of this family and you want to believe in Jesus Christ today, then let me just encourage you to reach out to us. Contact us. You know, we'd love to talk with you and to help walk with you through the amazing work of God in your life. You can email info at christlychurch.ca and and we'll be in touch with you there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that your love was shown to us in the sending of the Son to die for our sins. Father, thank you that from eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you planned to save us this way. Lord, it's not as if you sent your son unwillingly. It's not as if this was a a malicious act. It was the greatest act of love imaginable, planned in Trinity. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you. And I just pray that this morning we'd be reminded of that. I ask that your Holy Spirit would soften our hearts to this reality. And Lord, would remind us constantly of your love for us. Lord, if there's people here today that need to repent of their sinfulness and come to you and and accept this love that you have for them, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts and they would do so. Father, I pray that you would bring those people into your kingdom through this knowledge. Lord, you are a good God and we love you. And I pray that we might be reminded of the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Amen.